and um, I have uh, for the last few weeks been so moved in my spirit about our need as a church to become more spiritually inclined. Uh, I mean, that should go without saying. I mean, that's what we're here for. But uh, but at the same time, I I, uh, I know that the, the, the guy that was predicting the rapture was um, wacko. Camping was wacko. He was uh, camping in senile's happy land. But uh, um, but as I begin to think, this is maybe one of the good things, I begin to think about the coming of the Lord. And I was thinking about our church, and I was like, you know, as a pastor, I need to, I need to know that these people are ready to go to heaven. And I, I don't think that the Lord's coming after people who are observing religious exercises, but he's coming after people that have a relationship with him. And, uh, and, and we've got to be ready for the rapture. We've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And we've got to be ready to do what God's called us to do here on this earth. And we're not, we, nobody in this place has a big enough personality or enough talent to do what God's called us to do. We have got to have God's empowerment and God's anointing and the touch of His Spirit. Amen? So this is a treat tonight. This is a, a, a blessing from God that Brother Molander was able to be with us. And um, I asked him, I called him yesterday. I said, you know, I just feel, can you be with us? And uh, he, said, uh, he said, I'll be there. He said, I'll be there early because I want to get the place ready, get my heart ready with prayer. And then I'll get there and I'm not going to have any notes. I'm going to clear my mind like a blackboard and let God speak through me. So I want God to speak through this man of God. Tonight I'm ready to receive the word of the Lord. Anybody ready to receive the word of the Lord? Hallelujah. Well, glory. You may be seated. You're singing there. Come on, Lord. Send it on down. It's not up to him. It's totally and completely not up to God whether it comes down or not. I mean, I'm serious about that. I've never been more serious in my life. The Holy Ghost comes when we turn the key. I have taught, preached prayer for, well, he said over 50 years, but almost 55 years. And I realized, was the other, last night, I believe it was last night, I was praying for church, and I leave the service on Tuesday night. My assistant does the teaching on that night, and it hit me. I constantly am talking to people that they need to pray, because hear me right now, those that don't pray are not going. Just, just that's a positive statement after over 50 years of living for God. But it's not just a matter of of kneeling down and saying a few words and you say you're praying. That's that's not it at all. What I am talking about is having a relationship with him. Your pastor just said it. And there's a tremendous percentage of the apostolic church that doesn't have a relationship with him. About, must have been probably 52, maybe 51 or two years ago, my pastor came to me and he said, Brother Ted, he said, I want you to start a children's church. And I said, 
Pastor, I don't know anything about that. He said, well, do it anyhow. I said, okay. Okay. And so we had, I started children's church. We had uh, cookies and Kool-Aid and, you know, and whatever. And then one day he come. that was for about two months, I guess. Then he came to me and he said, Brother Ted, get them full of the Holy Ghost. Forget the cookies and Kool-Aid. And I thought, yeah, sure, you know, sure, just like that. And I started praying, really praying. Now we just, no no more fun and games. Now we're going to have church. About two weeks later, I had it on Sunday afternoon. Around two o'clock, I think I started. We had it for a couple of hours. And uh, that Sunday afternoon, Six received the Holy Ghost. That was the beginning. And I'm going to make a statement you, you may not believe, but believe me, I'm not lying. I ended up with around between 40, 50, 60 kids full of the Holy Ghost that learned how to pray. They learned how to travail. They learned how to intercede. They gave messages in tongues and the interpretation. And it was the most powerful church I have ever seen in over 50 years. You're kidding. No. Because everything that Brother Ted said, they did. And if I looked out there and it didn't look right to me, I'd say, when's the last time you spoke in tongues? You. And I, you know how we say that. I say, you. When's the last time you spoke in tongues? When's the last time you? You. By the time I got to the fifth or sixth one, they were all on their knees talking in tongues. There was no fooling around about it. I took them to the park, 50, 60 kids in a Sunday school bus by myself. I didn't have anybody else to guard them and keep them from doing what was wrong. They didn't do what was wrong. All I had to do was snap my fingers, and they did exactly what I told them to do all the time. You know where they are now? They are missionaries, pastors all over the world. Yes, sir. Yeah. They're grandmas and grandpas now. They were little kids then. But they learned something. They learned to have a relationship with God. I preached someplace, probably in the prison. I had a tremendous prison work going many years ago down in San Diego area. And I came home somewhere around 11 o'clock, midnight, whatever it was. And I walked in the house and I heard somebody in travail. And I'm strange, but when that happens... Instantly, the Holy Ghost hits me, and I'm in it too. So I headed way in the back. We had a house that stretched all over the place. It wasn't any mansion. It just stretched all over the place. Somebody kept adding to it. I paid $10,000 for it. Yeah. And I saw it just recently. And I said, how much you pay for it? The lady was out in front. She said, 150000 I said, I paid $10,000 for that house one time. 
And it hasn't changed hardly at all. Amen. What was I hearing? I was hearing my 10-year-old daughter in travail. Travail is the highest class of prayer that there is. And there's Pentecostals that have lived for years in a Pentecostal church and have never travailed. I had here about, oh, I don't know, maybe it was seven, eight years ago, I had a double hernia operation. And I asked God, why should this happen to me? I don't go around picking up stuff the wrong way. I know better. He said, prayer. Prayer. I would pray until I was in such pain I couldn't hardly stand it. Yeah. Travail. What for? For somebody to get straightened out. Yes, sir. We can have talent. We can have talent. And, and it sounds good. And the, everybody gets entertained. But none of that is worth two cents in the kingdom of God. None of it. I don't care how talented you are. It makes no difference at all. If it isn't anointed, it's worth nothing. If a man is preaching and he is not anointed, he's wasting our time completely. The only thing that will bring the anointing is prayer, deep, rich prayer, where you touch God and know you've touched Him. I don't dare walk to the pulpit Man, I just wouldn't. I had a Spanish church and English church in La Puente for many years. And I, man, sometimes, believe it or not, I drove a hundred miles picking up people and taking them home after church. Yeah. And that was one of those nights that I did that. I got to church just in time to start. So I just handed it to my assistant and said, it's yours tonight. I'm not even going on the platform. said, you're not. No, I'm not. I have not prayed. All I am is a human being right now. All the thoughts and the feelings that are in me right now are human. And that doesn't belong on the platform, ever. I mean... I've got my people trained for one thing. Don't you dare get near that platform unless you have prayed through. Look at who you are. Look at how much talent you have. It means nothing at all at Calvary. Nothing. You're not anointed. It isn't worth anything. Yes, sir. That's for the young people. We have a young people's choir. That's awesome. And believe me, they don't dare get up there unless they have prayed through. It's got to be that way. Listen, we're in God's business. We're not in our business. We're in God's business. And I know what it is. I know what it is all over. If you can get, we're in, the, we're in an age now where the, if you can use something that will entertain, that's supposed to help us grow the church. I helped uh, 
a young man. I wish I could remember his name. Rip. Oh, I missed it. I have a terrible time with memory anymore. Remember names. Names just kill me. David. His name was David. And I helped him start a church in, in uh, Ensenada. I speak Spanish fluently. And uh, he, he could play the guitar. He was literally awesome. Yeah. And he got a group with him. And we started in a little building, probably seat 30 people. It wasn't long that we extended it and we seated 200. And he filled that. So then we built a church where we seated 500 and he filled that. And then we built a church that seated 1,000. I went down there to preach. It was full, packed full. And... Uh, Oh, you talk about entertainment. It was, you know, oh, man, the music was just unbelievable. And so I ministered that night. When we got home after church, I was going to stay with him that night. And uh, I said, you know something, Richard? God revealed to me that you do not have, or David, you do not have 100 people in this church that are saved. Oh, he said, you're just jealous because you have a small church. And uh, I said, what difference does that make? What's that got to do with it? It wasn't me that said it. I said, God told me that. And uh, he ended up falling in sin with his secretary. I don't know why it's the secretary all the time, but it always is. If you ladies get asked for that job, Say no. <laughs> and so another, Brother Lopez, took the church then. And about two years later, I guess it was, I went to a fellowship meeting down in Ensenada in the old church that seats for 500. And Brother Lopez was there, and he said, can you preach for me a week from Sunday? Come down here and preach. And that was a long trip, a long trip. I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And so I came down there to preach for him. And I thought, he had about 200 people in that huge, huge building. And uh, when I sat down, he sat down next to me, and he said, when I took the church, there were 34 people full of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name in this church. 1,000 every night from entertainment. From entertainment. And understand something right now. The rest of them, God only knows what happened to that 1,000 people. What part of hell they're going to go to because they didn't get saved. And you're only going to get saved by the anointing power of the Holy Ghost. Nothing else. Nothing else. And you don't have to say, God, send. Send your spirit down. All I have to do is start worshiping Him and it's there. It's an instant thing. It's not something that you have to beg God for. 
there's anything he wants, he wants to operate in us. He's willing to operate in kids. In kids. Yes, sir. Not, not to just play and fool around, but actually, I'm telling you, I said they gave messages in tongues and the interpretation, prophecy. And I had seven and eight-year-old kids preach me under the power more than once. Yes, sir. And they preached because they were anointed. Anointed. I went over to Brother Gray's church to help him get a, a children's church started. And I was there one morning, and there was a young boy, nine years old, visiting from Texas. And he raised his hand in the prayer request, and he said, Would you all pray for my mom and dad? They're both lost, backslid. And God spoke to me. I was running the children's church. And I said, son, I want you to preach for us tonight. And he said, yes, sir. And honey, nine years old, he picked up his Bible when I gave it to him, walked up there, laid the Bible there, opened it up, and he read a scripture. And for about 30 minutes, he went at it, hammer, tooth, and tongues. And I mean, he preached nine years old. What do we have today? But you can give them an iPad and they can turn it upside down and play it. I watched that happen. My church gave me an iPad. I had my 85th birthday two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. And they gave me an iPad, which I'm not of the computer generation. It has taken me a week and a half working like a crazy idiot trying to learn how to teach PowerPoint on that iPad, and I do it. I love it. But I had it at the house. My great-grandson comes there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's when we take care of him to do his homework. And he had some homework that my wife looked at. She said, I don't know how to do it. And Sister Lelaine, my secretary, had just showed me the day, that day, that day, she had just showed me how to get it up on the iPad, mathematics, and pick your subject. And so I, she was downstairs in the office, and, and I said, come on up here. And she came up, and she worked it all out. And they set, she sat down there, or set the thing down there in front of Jaden. He's 10 years old, 11, 11 years old now. And uh, next thing you know, he was, he, he'd do them, and then he'd, he said, it's right. Boy, he was so excited. He, he did them on the, he did them first. And then he checked his, everything on the iPad. And so on Wednesday, he's there today, and my wife has the iPad in her hand sitting down, he comes around like this, and he's looking at it upside down. And he's doing the problems on it upside down. I said, I give up. I couldn't do it straight up. <laughs> yeah. It's, and that's what the kids, they got their iPads, iPods. They got all that junk. And I mean, I told them if I catch one of you, Texting, 
during the church service, you have just lost your cell phone. You can't take my, don't tell me I can't. I know who I am. I'll just reach over and take it. You get smart, I'll swat you on the bottom. Yeah, we don't play games in this church. And this texting during service, I'm not going to have it. Somehow or other, before I die, I'm going to have that church where they have a relationship with God. Yeah, not just, you know, I had about maybe six, seven come early for prayer. And I'm running around 120, I guess. And six or seven come early for prayer. Said, man alive, this is not going to get the job done. And I started ministering about that. We've got folks outside the walls of the church that are lost. They're going to go to hell. And God gave us the Holy Ghost and the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, sir. And I started preaching it. I have right now probably somewhere around 40 are there early for church. Honey, that place rocks. It's just rock. They're not messing around. They're not sitting there saying, now I lay me down to sleep. They're, they are sitting there praying. Really praying. Yeah. And that, it's working. It's working. We're seeing new ones come in. What, can I get baptized in the name of Jesus? You sure can. But I'd like to let you know why. So we'll let somebody teach you a Bible study. Then we'll sure enough baptize you. I don't want them. I don't want them to come in and figure I get baptized and I get filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay, now I'm a saint of God. All you are is a little baby. I don't care how old you are. I won my, my daughter-in-law's grandma and grandpa from Argentina. I taught them search for truth in Spanish. And one, both of them, we went to a fellowship meeting, Spanish fellowship meeting. They both got the Holy Ghost. I baptized them in the name of Jesus, just buried him just recently. He was about 68, I think, when I baptized him. He'd been a Catholic all his life since he was born. But when he saw the Word of God, then he became a born-again Christian. Yes, sir. And he, he, they reached for God. They reached for God. You know, I had, I don't know, 15 maybe in my Spanish church. I went to, I went to Tepic, Nayarit, Mexico. First, I studied for six months, eight hours a day in my office. Yeah. They got canned messages for six months. I didn't study for my saints. I, God told me, you learn Spanish. I'm going to use you. And boy, has he. And I went to Topeak, Nayarit, Mexico. I was there for two weeks. Lived with a family that spoke nothing but Spanish. And honey, I either spoke Spanish or didn't eat. But I, I didn't have any vocabulary, really. didn't have much of anything. I came back home on a Saturday, Friday, 
And on Sunday night, we had our first Spanish service. We had two girls in, in my English church that spoke Spanish. and Not much, <laughs> really. Really, they didn't speak much, but they did speak some. And so they came to help me. And I had 15 to begin with. And I baptized seven people the first night in the name of Jesus. In el nombre de Jesús. And they received the Holy Ghost and still living for God. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I watched it happen. We couldn't get anywhere. They come wandering in at church time or a little late. I'm being on time at nothing to the Latinos. Absolutely nothing. But one night, and we had we had sometimes only seven on Wednesday night, but then on Sunday night we'd have 15. And it was a Sunday night that Hector came to me, and he had his baby in his arms. He said, Está muerto, está muerto, ore, he's dead, pray. I've never done this in my life. I said, no. And they're all there, you know, looking at the pastor. Come on, pastor, you pray. I said, no, you pray. And brother, you know what? why they told me they didn't come to pray? Because they didn't know how to pray. You know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. You ought to hurt them. They're walking up and down between the, the pews praying at the top of their voices, and I mean they weren't messing around, honey. They had a hold of God. And about ten minutes later, little Pablito, little Pablito let out a cry. And, so, and he's still alive. I saw him the other day. Yeah, that did it. That did it. Boy, I set them down, and I said, you don't know how to pray, huh? Who healed that baby? And boy, their eyes got big. They realized that they had done it, and they started. And within about two or three weeks, 100% of my Spanish church was there one hour ahead of time to pray. And honey, they prayed. Oh, they did not mess around. And because of that, we started growing. One after another, we started baptizing them and getting the Holy Ghost. We were running right out of 100, and we were supporting all the work in Mexico. I mean, I don't know how many churches I got started down there. We were supporting every bit of it from the Spanish-speaking church, not from the English-speaking church. Yes. For 12 years, I pastored both churches until I got so tired I couldn't hold my head up. I was ministering 11 times a week. I just almost collapsed. And finally, I just about did, and I turned it over to my assistant pastor. And uh, it's just about nothing now. And you want to know the reason it's just about nothing now? I'll give you the reason. He never learned how to pray. And when the pastor doesn't know how to pray, God helped the saints. The only one that's going to teach them is the pastor. 
And the only way he's going to teach them is by example. I know one friend of mine. Oh, he'd preach on prayer. He couldn't pray a lick. <laughs> but he preached it all the time. But if it hadn't been for me and about six others, the saints of God never would have, and the, and the children, the saints of God never would have learned. But he didn't know how to pray. Never did learn how to pray. Awesome. And pastored. Most responsible position there is in the world. The President of the United States doesn't have anything that even comes close to the responsibility that this man has. He's got to get you to heaven. Yeah. That has to mean more to him any other thing in the world. I tell my saints, the only reason I'm alive, I know that. There's no doubt in my mind. The only reason I'm still alive and operating at 85 years of age is because I want you saved. If I have to have, kill you. <laughs> and sometimes I almost do, I know. Because you know what it's like? It's like the doctor and the lawyer and the pastor went deer hunting. They saw a deer, and they all fired at the same time. The deer dropped. So they went down there to see who hit him. The doctor said, it wasn't my boat. The lawyer said, it wasn't my boat. The pastor said, it was mine. It went in one ear and right out the other. <laughs> Hear me. The book says, let's go for the book. It said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I'm going to repeat that. The natural man, that's us without prayer. I don't care if you've had the Holy Ghost for a hundred years. That's you without prayer. That's me without prayer. The natural man receiveth not the Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. Boy, that's the book. Because they are spiritually discerned. So you come in, you don't pray, you don't touch God, you don't feel his presence. You might get a little emotional if the songs are fast. But you haven't felt his spirit yet. You haven't touched him. You haven't become part of him. Sometimes even the praise singers haven't touched him. Yeah, that's terrible. In fact, sometimes the song leader hasn't touched him. I've been in all kinds of churches, listening to all kinds of pre-services. Yeah. And oh, how we want to get excited, just like David. Man, I can't remember his last name. And he could, you know where he is now? He's playing, the, or has been ever since he fell. He's playing the guitar on television. Yes, sir, and has a tremendous following. Spanish, of course. Yeah. I want to tell you, it's only entertainment. It's just entertainment. 
This stuff here is just as it. You know what we had in the Spanish church when we first started? Nothing. And the, the, one of the girls that came to help me, she couldn't sing a lick. She sung worse than I do. She was my song leader. I said, you got to be kidding. No. She was, why was she your song leader? Because she prayed an hour, hour and a half before service every night, asking God to anoint me. I had visiting preachers come down and said, never seen a church like this. She gets up and she can't even carry a tune and she's leading the songs and the saints of God are on their feet talking in tongues and worshiping God. Yeah. Said it doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. Nothing God does makes sense. We want it to make sense. The only way it makes sense if it works our way. Then then it makes sense. But God wants it not to make sense. There was a... I'm preaching revivals back in, in the South. And there was an evangelist there. When he was two years old, his dad grabbed him by the heels and beat him against the wall, his head. Gave him tremendous brain damage. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And called him to preach. In fact, is uh, I had just I came right after him, and Sister O'Brien said, "He's quite a guy." Said he told me one morning at breakfast. Said Sister O'Brien, "I really love your toothbrush." And she said, "Brother, you can have it." <laughs> I mean, he was as simple as anything you ever saw. Until he walked behind the pulpit. And the guy prayed by the hour. And when he walked behind the pulpit, there was a total, complete metamorphosis. He was a preacher and a half. That guy could preach. Yes, sir. And when he left the pulpit, he was as dingy as all get out. That doesn't make sense, does it? That's God. He said, my thoughts as high as the heaven is above the earth are my thoughts above your thoughts. Yeah. He does strange things. I've seen him do some of the weirdest things in my time. And I'm not joking. In fact, there's one time he told me, he said, tell that fellow there to go outside, get that trash can that's out there and come here, hold over his head and run around the aisles. Said that's plum crazy. Sure it is. But he got the Holy Ghost. Plum crazy, huh? I remember first time it happened. I'm preaching, ministering, and I used to minister for three hours every night. Just figure out three hours. You don't worry about that now. I don't do that now. And God told me, I walked to the pulpit, and God told me, tell them all to stand and stomp the devil. And I thought, stomp the devil? Never heard of that in my life. I said, uh, let's all stand. I stood and I said, God just told me to tell you to stomp the devil. Let's stomp him. So I started stomping, and they started stomping. I, I think two or three got the Holy Ghost, the power of God moving that place like you wouldn't believe. It was one of the deadest churches I'd ever been in anyhow. 
And all the change in that church, the crazy things that God told me to tell people to do. And when they did it, instantly. Yeah. Any of you remember, I doubt it seriously, you couldn't. Even, I don't know if there's anybody here been long enough in God to remember the hairdos that women used to have. Do you remember seeing them? I'm telling you, they were a production took two hours to put up their hair. Down here. Yeah. Crepe wool. Yeah. They wove crepe wool in between it. And uh, every Pentecostal woman you saw, that's the way her hair was. And uh, I had Brother Murray Burr, old sober sides, never made a move. And Fantastic pastor, but he had never shouted, never showed any emotion whatsoever, never. And he called me and he said, can you come? He said, I haven't baptized anybody in a year and a half or two years. He said, we're deader than the doornail and I don't know why. He said, come if you can dig out adultery or whatever it is, do it. That's what they called me for, to dig out, because I could look at people and tell you what they were doing. And uh, I said, sure, I'll come. So I did. And I got up behind the pulpit, and I said, fellas, all of you, this you, you're so stinking proud. I said, and I had hair in those days. And I started messing my hair up. They were standing in every direction. And I said, come on. And they started messing their hair up. When they did, the power of God hit every one of them. And they was a shouting, dancing, running the aisles, talking in tongues. Holy Ghost just flooded that place. And then it quieted down. And the ladies were sitting there. And I said, uh, ladies, not a move. I said, ladies, I'm not kidding. God wants you to get rid of your pride. Now, get it down. Never a move. I turned around to Brother Murray Lane, Murray Burr, and I said, Brother Burr, there, right there, is your problem. And uh, his wife was over here. She'd never shouted in her life. She was like him, just, you know, they live for God, straight as a die, but no emotion whatsoever. And he got up, walked to the pulpit. He said, shake it down, tear it down, but get it down! <laughs> and even then, they never moved. <laughs> and his wife reached up and took one hairpin out. And when she did, Holy Ghost, another one I pent again. And boy, she reached up and started pulling pins. She shouted, run the aisle. She danced, had herself one more time. And the other ladies saw it, and they started. We had, we had crepe wool about six inches deep. <laughs> And I was only there, well, I told him, I said, now, 
Now you can tell angels what to do. Now you can. I said, I want you all to pray right now. We're going to tell the angels to stop somebody that's hungry for God. Right out was Main Boulevard, Victory Boulevard. Stop them right in front of the church and have them come in and ask for salvation. Just come right up and ask Brother Burr, what must I do to be saved? By this time, they believe what I said. Yes, sir. And so they all prayed. Sunday morning, we heard, we're in service, we heard a... And the door burst open. A cop, a cop slid to a stop right in the middle of the street, ran in the door, ran up to Brother Burr and said, what do I have to do to be saved? Yes, sir. said, we put angels out. They couldn't get any further. I was in Brother Buxton's, Herbert Buxton's church. Brother Clark has it now. I was in Brother Herbert Buxton's church talking to Brother Buxton, and Brother Burr had, had been his pastor. He was talking to him on the phone. And I walked in. He said, Brother Molander's here. He said, tell him that I have baptized somebody in the name of Jesus or somebody has received the Holy Ghost every single service since he left. And all in the world that God did was get rid of the stinking pride and vanity that we have inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. We think, well, we're Christians. But are we? All oh, the things that God had me make people do to get rid of their stinking pride. You tell... Tell them to stand, to stand up and stomp the devil. And there would be some. <laughs> Poor little old devil. I mean, they couldn't. They just couldn't. Too much pride. But those that turned loose, oh, the blessings that would fall. I sent them to the parking lot to do that. And you know how we did it? Let me tell you how we did it. We changed entire churches completely in four days, three days, three days. Because we started them praying at 5 o'clock in the morning. And saints that never prayed 15 minutes a week would literally pray for two or three hours every single day morning. And then the first time that I did that, God told me to do that, and I did it. I was in Brother Hedger's church up in Sacramento. He had a little Quonset hut and put in, put in your full, not quite. And I go there. I got there at 8 o'clock from the airport. He drove me. And uh, his wife was just leading choruses, songs. And we walked in. He walked up, said about four or five words to the saints, and turned the service to me. And I thought, now what do we do? Well, at one 
o'clock in the morning, five hours later, he walked to the pulpit and he said, Pastor, Brother Molander and I are going to be here at four in the morning to pray. And any of you that would like to come, you're welcome. And we went out the door. This is at one o'clock in the morning. We're going to be there at four. It seems like my head just hit the pillow and he said, hey, it's time. So we, we got up and we were a little early. We were a little early. We grow there was a main street and then this, this kind of almost a dirt road gravel going down to his Quonset hut down there. And as we started down there, I looked and I said, hey, man, there's somebody there already. There's a car there already. And we were there at about 10 to 4, something like that. When we got there, there were eight cars there already. And the thing he had told me on the trip from the airport, my people don't pray at all. So I can't get them to pray. And what was coming out of that building was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, there was so much power coming out of there that he and I were both talking in tongues before we got out of the car. And we went in there. That was at 4 o'clock in the morning. And at either 7, somewhere around, it was after 3 or 4 hours of prayer, the, the, the parking lot was completely full. As many people as there were in there the night before were in there at 5 o'clock in the morning. I had never seen anything like that in my life, ever. And after three days, he had a church like he had never had before in his life. And that started it. Everywhere I went, I started 5 o'clock in the morning prayer meetings. And the entire churches were changed. Husbands and wives got along together like they'd never got along together before. Unsaved husbands got the Holy Ghost, got, got baptized in Jesus' name. Talk about a, a fantastic move of God because the saints of God were doing the praying, not just me. Brother Verbal Bean, probably the most powerful man that ever walked as far as I'm concerned, my best friend. And... Uh, I had never, I'd never met him, but he called me and asked me to come back there and preach. And so I did. And on the way in from the airport, he said, now, we pray every morning at 6 o'clock, but he said, there's a lot of people that live 40, 50 miles away. And he said, I doubt if they will be there. I said, we're going to pray at 5 in the morning. He said, okay. Four days later, he stood behind the pulpit, and he was like me. When I evangelized, I prayed six and seven hours every day. I fasted from Thursday to Sunday every week for years. Yes, sir. I wanted power. That's what I wanted. And he said, they won't. He said, man, I don't know if anybody's going to come. I said, uh, there'll be as many cars in the parking lot in the morning as there is tonight. And he looked at me, and he stood there behind the pulpit. He said, I've never seen, I have preached six, eight-week revivals. And in those days, you, you have a hard time believing this, but we preached every single night. No nights off, seven days a week for two and three months in the same place. He did it, and I did it. And he said, I've seen more results 
in the last four days than I have ever seen in a six-week revival. Wow. And he said, and I know the reason is because it's not just Brother Molander and I doing the praying. It's you doing the praying because it has totally, completely changed your whole outlook, the way you walk, the way you live, everything about it, the sin that you had a hard time getting away from is gone, over, done, finished. Yeah, you walk in the Spirit now. You don't walk in the flesh. I'm going to tell you something. When you don't pray, you walk in the flesh. And, and that the devil can lead you around by the nose anytime he wants. He'll take you right where he wants you. He can, he can lead you right up to the cliff he wants you to fall off of, to the girl he wants you to go to bed with. Yes, sir. The whole thing. I'm going to tell you something. You cannot walk in the flesh and make it to heaven. You just might as well forget it. It's not going to happen. People that don't pray are sinners. Boy, it's quiet in here right now. I said, people that don't pray every day are sinners. How do you know that? Well, how do they think? They think like sinners. People that pray every day and read the book, and read the book, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. That, that book is awesome. I, I read it, oh man, I've been reading the book by the hour. And you read it a thousand times. And all of a sudden you read a scripture you have read over and over again. And it just jumps off the page. I had that happen to me about two years ago. It says, it's in Titus. It says, speak evil of no man. And... I've read, speak evil of no man. Go right to the next one. You want. I come along, speak evil of no man. And boy, God said, I'm talking to you, dude. You. Yes. Don't be speaking evil of anybody. Ooh. Ooh. And in many places, when it talks about evil, it's talking about slander. Slander. Don't slander anybody. And I thought of all the conversations I've had after church when we all went out to eat. Mm, speak evil of no man. Wow. And what I've heard, and what I've heard out of the mouths of ministers, never thought about it. Didn't think they were doing evil. Yeah, just a lot of fun. But he said, speak evil of no man. See, and that's the book. It's the book. And you read the book. When you learn to read that book, I'd, I've been reading in Jeremiah and Ezekiel now for about, oh, I don't know, maybe a week and a half or two weeks. I was in both of them. I read a Chapter 2, probably two chapters in English, and then read the same chapters in Spanish. And I just got sick of it. I said, you got sick of reading it? I got sick of it. Because all it talks about is how he's going to slaughter the Israelites because they're rebels. 
Yeah. He keeps telling both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they're a rebellious house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them out. They'll die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And I just couldn't read it anymore. And so I went to Matthew. You know something? He hadn't changed. <laughs> you mess around, he's going to get you. And we, we got the idea in this world we're living in today, we're living under grace. And so, you know, just God's nice, full of love and kindness. And go ahead. But watch what you do. Because he carries a big stick. I had him whip me one time. No, more than that. But, but I'm thinking of... <laughs> But I'm thinking about one time. One time. He told me I had a pickup truck. And I can do just about anything. And I said, I, I'm contracted. And he told me, don't do that anymore. And I thought, that's where I make a living. And so I did it. Well, within two weeks... I no longer had a pickup truck. I no longer had a job of any kind. I had to go to work driving a taxi cab. He took my tools away from me. He took my truck away from me. He cleaned me out completely. And he said, that next time I tell you, listen to me. He hasn't changed all that much. And I've had him pick me up rock me in his arms. I mean, you talk about an experience. That was an experience. I'm a grown man. Yet the God of heaven picked me up and rocked me like a baby. Told me how much he loved me. Yeah. I came in one day and my wife was sitting by the couch. And she was like Moses. Her face was shining so much. She boys. I said, what happened to you, honey? She said, I have been leading the heavenly choir for about two hours. And she was just, I mean, there was so much Holy Ghost in her, it was just living. And some of you don't even understand what, what I'm talking about. It's, it's not part of your vocabulary. It's not part of your life. And you live so far below your privilege. When I came to God, I was an alcoholic bartender and card dealer. And a sinner, I was a 24-carat sinner. Hence, knew nothing about God at all. Nothing. Absolutely zilch. Was not raised that way at all. And my wife, she had never given her heart to God. Raised in Pentecost, never gave her heart to God. Not even as a kid, never went to the altar. Yes, sir. And then when she's 21, her car almost went off a cliff. Stood there and rocked. And she was able to get out of it. And God spoke to her for the first time. He said, 
You could have been in hell tonight if I had not stopped that car. And she made up her mind she was going to live for him. And when she made up her mind she was going to live for him, God said, and I want you to marry Ted Molander. And I was the biggest jerk I've ever met. Conceited jerk, that's all. I was always right. Honey, don't tell me I'm wrong. I'm right. Yeah. And she had to put up with that if she married me. And she held off. (laughs) And I ended up going down to San Diego, tending bar, and running a card room. And one day I'm living with my partner, and one day a taxi drives up, and she gets out. She comes up and knocks on the door, and I opened the door, and I looked at her. I said, you know something, honey? i got to pay a ticket today. Let's ask the judge to marry us. You know, candlelight and soft music and proposal. She said, okay. That was 56 years ago. Yeah. We got married. We came down to San Diego. I didn't even have any money. She had two little girls. She had been married when she was 15 years old. And that guy was a natural-born thief and in the prison most of the time. And so she never really got to know him much except he had two kids. That was it. And he was gone. They were divorced, but gone. And so we got married. And we got married by that judge. You know how you want to have a real fancy wedding with lots of people and spend lots of money and have a beautiful white gown and a tuxedo and all that? He married us in his office for $5. And that was 56 years ago. And my wife had to put up with me. She'd been raised in Pentecost, so when she made made her move, I was tending bar the night she made her move, went to church, Brother Gray's church, and received the Holy Ghost. And I mean, lived for God ever since and uh, had to put up with a drunken, alcoholic bartender. And I lasted. I remember we were cleaning up the bar. I'm cleaning up behind the bar, and this waitress is doing the dining area in the dinner house and uh, I was telling her about my wife and she stopped she looked at me and she said I know those people you're next I said you gotta be joking I'm not next she said you're next honey when they start praying for you you're finished you're wiped out that's it this is a this is a, a waitress in a in a bar, yeah. And she was right. It was two weeks later. Yeah. Went to a, a church, a little church out in Imperial Beach. Maybe six or seven kids there and the pastor and his wife. And a young PAW preacher, about maybe 18 or 19 years old, 
He preached for about 20 minutes and then gave a 45-minute altar call. And the only sinner in the place is me. (laughs) And I got to go to work in the morning. So finally, you know, everything we've done has been so emotional, you know. I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I got to go to work in the morning. The only way that guy's going to shut up is for me to go down to that altar. And it was a bench. And it locked. And so I went down there my elbows on it, and you know, I said, you know something, God, come to think of it, I'm sick and tired of being a sinner. If you'll have me, I'll live for you. That was my my grand and glorious entrance into Pentecost. They took me that night and baptized me in Brother Gray's church. My pastor did, Brother Reynolds. And Brother Gray said to Brother Reynolds, he said, he won't last two weeks. And three years later, I was Brother Gray's full-time assistant pastor because, because I got so sick and tired of hearing my wife talk in tongues. She just kneeled down and just be lost in the Holy Ghost, and I couldn't find God anywhere. And I said, something's got to change. And they said that Brother Eccles is coming to to Brother Gray's church for one night, Brother Ar- to our church for one night, next night for seven nights. He's going to teach on the seven steps to effectual prayer. I said, I'm going. And I'm sitting on the front pew waiting. And he gets up there. And he was an old fella. Must have been 55 anyhow. And he said, how would you like to know how to enter into the throne room of God every single time? And I thought, God, please don't let him die before he tells me. (laughs) That old man. (laughs) And I'm 85. (laughs) And he read a scripture. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. I never heard any more. I heard that, and then God spoke to me. He said, did I deliver you from alcohol? Right in a bar in Tijuana, Mexico. I walked in, climbed up on the bar stool with my buddy. He said, what do you want to drink? I said, Sam, I don't want anything. I just want to get out of here. I can't stand the smell. And that's a man that drank a fifth of vodka every day like breathing. I couldn't stand the smell of a bar or the smell of booze. Just like that, God did. And God said, did I deliver you? I said, yes, sir. He said, have you ever thanked me? I said, no, sir. No, sir. I'm going to. And as soon as we got out, I took my family home, put them all to bed, went in the living room, the dark living room. We had an old rocking chair there, and I knelt down by that rocking chair. And I mean, I couldn't touch God. I couldn't feel God before this. And I knelt down, and I said, Jesus, I want to thank you for delivering me from alcohol. And I felt something. I said it again. (laughs) And then, the heavens opened up. 
And I mean, you talk about praying. Whoo, mercy. They could have heard me a quarter of a mile away. I was screaming in tongues and worshiping God. And I never prayed more than 10 or 15 minutes. I prayed until 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, God, I've got to go to work at 5, so give me eight hours of sleep, will you, in that two hours? And he did. And he did. That was the beginning. Every time I bowed my knee, I was in touch with heaven. And because of that, I prayed by the hour. I loved to pray. Just, I just get lost with God. Hallelujah. So in three years, I grew 20 years. Yes, sir. I became his full-time assistant pastor. I said, how could somebody grow that fast? Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. I said, well, I've been in the church now for six months, two years, ten years, and I don't seem to have that. You know why you don't have that? Not enough Holy Ghost. Not enough prayer. Not enough hunger to pray. Just hunger to pray. You just, you're sitting there, maybe even eating, and you say, and I need to pray. And you, this is long, and you're in your bedroom, and you're, you're knelt down, and the place is so full of the Holy Ghost, you almost can't stand it. You don't worry about what time it is or how long have I prayed. You just live in that awesome, fantastic world. We sung it tonight in the presence of Jehovah. Hallelujah. In the presence of Jehovah. And that's what you get in. And when you do, everything becomes different. You could have had a spat with your wife. You realize, you know something? That was my fault. Nothing was ever my fault until I got the Holy Ghost. I remember one day I got in a battle with my wife. I was still in the carnal stage. And I burned rubber down the street. Went to the church. Knelt down at that altar and I said, God! Help that woman. And God said, what woman? I don't see any woman. All I see is you, and you got a nasty attitude. When I left there, I'd been crying for about an hour, hour and a half, bawling and thinking, what a jerk I am. And I went home and apologized to my wife. She'd never experienced anything like that before. <laughs> Has your wife experienced that? You saying, I'm sorry, with tears and meaning it? Young man in my church, he's, he's, he's been so super spiritual and so carnal. And he, he came down to the church to pray when I was there. Yesterday morning, I guess, around 5 o'clock. And uh, he said, it's just, we had an argument again. 
And I said, and I'll flat guarantee you, it was your fault. He said, yep. I said, then get on the phone, call her, and apologize. And I'll tell you the truth. When he did, I was shocked. Because I have, I have almost writ, written him off. Because he, he learns nothing. But something happened to him. And he actually heard me. And now there will be growth. There will be growth. The, I don't know how long I had the Holy Ghost. Maybe a year. I still had a mustache. Oh, man. I shaved with a straight razor. It was perfect. And Pastor Reynolds and I were building, getting ready to build. We poured the concrete and getting ready to build a duplex. And we went over there and I started laying it out. And uh, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning. He looked at me. He took his nail belt and let it fall on the right on the concrete. And he said, you know something, Brother Ted, even I can't stand you. Yeah. And I, and I thought, well, get you. Because I'm never wrong. I worked by myself that day, all day long. And I was full of dust and tears cried all day long when God finally was able to talk to me. Because there's just so many people he can't talk to. He says the words, but you don't hear the words. And he talked to me that day. Oh, he talked to me. I came home that night. I walked right past my wife. She was in the kitchen. I went right in the, bed, in the bathroom. Got the shaven mug. Just, just the mustache. Gone. That night I asked Pastor, can I say something to the church? He said, sure, Brother Ted. And I stood up here. I said, Sister Joyce, you remember the day I treated your little boy so badly? I wanna, I'm so sorry. And I was sorry. For the first time in my life, I was sorry. Oh, I hope I'm getting to somebody tonight. And then I told this one. I didn't say, if I've hurt you, I'm sorry. I didn't. I started in. I told them exactly what I did, person after person in the church. I hurt you when I said this, and when I did that. And they started crying, each one. And then down the middle aisle, come Big Clarence Woolley, six foot eight, I guess. Come walking down that aisle, he was just sobbing and shuddering and crying. Came up to me and wrapped those huge arms around me. Said, Brother Ted, I love you. That's the first time in the in the church a year had the Holy Ghost. That was the first time anybody said, I love you to me. Yeah. And you know that one day I ended up pastoring that church for my pastor. He had to go back to Samoa. And he said, can you take it for a year? I said, I'll take it. 
I said, God told me that almost 30 minutes ago. He called, and I said, God already told me. I already told Pat to start packing. We're going to National City, pastor of the church. Yeah. And I'm in my office, and Clarence had done something. I don't know what it was. He had done something. I can't remember now. And so everybody had just dis 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 <laughs> just thrown him away. He's no good for nothing. And he came to the door, leaned against the jam, and looked at me. And he said, "Are you going to turn me away too?" <laughs> I started bawling, man. <laughs> I went up there and hugged him. Told him, I said, I'll fight the devil for you, Clarence. And I did. Believe me, I did. And the day came that everybody accepted Clarence just like they did before. But it took it took a pastor. And it's an, isn't it amazing that here this jerk stands in front of the church and tells them what a no good bum he is. And then years later. The same guy that said, I love you, comes to me and said, I need help. Yeah, right. That was his pastor. Yeah. It's amazing what God can do with you if you pray. I had another church come in with me in my Spanish work. They lost their, they lost their building. And so he called me and I said, just bring them over. Come on, let's just have one church between the two of us. And we did. Varela, and there was a young man in his church, and when something opened up and he took his church, and his assistant pastor was brother in Bell Gardens. What's his name? The Spanish leader for the whole state. Orozco. That was his assistant pastor. And he left, and... Uh, there I had the church. Yeah. I was going to tell you something. <laughs> Somehow or other it slipped me. Anyhow, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how God that loves me so much lets me lose the one thing, and that's names. I just flat can't remember names anymore. And other than that, I do great. I'm doing all right. Now, I've been talking to you about one thing for over an hour. That one thing is having a relationship with God. Not just coming kneeling down and now I lay me down to sleep or Lord bless this food. But actually learning to touch Him, feel His presence in an awesome awesome way and then when you pray for your kids or when you pray for someone that's lost in your family and God puts intercession on you and you know something you've never known before it is so awesome you can't work that up it's not something you can make happen you can't but as you begin to talk to him and you begin to call their name and then all of a sudden something happens inside of you and you feel like you're coming apart 
if you can't get them saved. And when you get in that kind of prayer, hear me right now, that's God doing the praying. And God's prayers are not thrown away. Yes, sir. And you pray in the Holy Ghost, really, honestly. I have prayed in the Holy Ghost in English. Yes, sir. Just like you do in tongues. In English, I've laid the whole service out for the night. I knew exactly what was going to happen because it came out of my mouth. Strong, powerful, in English. I know when I cannot, when I don't have the answer for something, then I want tongues. I tell God, look, you're going to have to pray for this. I don't know where to go. So you do it. And boy, the next thing you know, here it comes. I can almost interpret the tongues. It's that clear. It's so beautiful. There are times in prayer when, honestly, you hear me right now. You just feel like you're in another world. You're totally lost in the Holy Ghost. And can you imagine what will happen to this church if some of you begin to pray like that? You come before service, and instead of just wandering in or just sitting there, you actually begin to touch God, and then He mentions somebody's name, somebody that's been coming, and they're not doing real good, and all of a sudden you find a prayer, a type of prayer you've never known before. Next thing you know, they come walking in the church. Yes, sir. The God of heaven knows what he's doing. I've taken a Catholic boy that said, I'm not even coming back after service one night. I said, tomorrow night, I'm going to baptize you in the name of Jesus and you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. We were standing outside. He said, I'm not even coming back tomorrow. I said, oh yeah, you'll be here. And I'll baptize you and you'll have the Holy Ghost. He said, I don't want any of that. And he left. The next night I baptized him in Jesus' name and he received the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. When I pray like that, don't tell me it's not going to happen because God's the one that's doing the praying. And if he says it, I don't care if it's coming out of my mouth. If he says it, it's going to happen. You can just write it down. I mean, I don't care what kind of... People say, well, I guess I just don't have faith. No, you don't have prayer. When you have a relationship with God, faith is, how are you? Are you still hurting? That's what I figured. Yes, sir. I, it'll make any difference what? I've had girl, girl with cancer, boom, gone like that. In fact, I had a strange one the other night, the other day on Sunday. One of my Sunday school teachers called and said, my car won't start, and her husband's a mechanic, and he couldn't get it to start. I said, well, hang on. And I said, right now, I command you to start in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Been running ever since. It all comes with one thing, and nothing you that been singing, been praise singers or whatever, I hope 
the next time you go to put your foot on that platform and you haven't prayed through, that God will spank your bottom. You say, he doesn't do that. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He'll give you a whipping. Yeah. We need to learn that this is the house of God. This is, it's supposed to be called the house of prayer. Yes, sir.